All right, take your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I'll just be honest with you tonight. I am extremely nervous. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm very nervous about this sermon. So pray for me. Maybe we can get through it. I know I'm prayed up and studied up. And now we're just depending on the Lord to get us through it. So uh, in, in, in Galatians chapter 4... This has really spoken to me lately in my devotions. I I know several passages that I've read through. I've kind of focused on the exact same thing. And as of Monday or Tuesday, I was studying a passage on this pretty much exact topic. um, And then the Lord just did not give me peace about it. I kept moving on through my devotions, just through my reading. I got to that and, and I found that this passage, which... Uh, really even more emphasized what I've been reading, so I know that this is what the Lord's given me. Now, we haven't done this in a real long time, but I remember, I don't know, five or six years ago, we used to have this saying, uh, it had to do with our giving, and we would say, why do we give at the Joshua Baptist Church? And y'all would say, because we love the Lord. And today, what I want to talk to you about is, I believe you could fill in the blank with, why do we do this at the Joshua Baptist Church? Why do we evangelize? Because we love the Lord. Why do we give? We love the Lord. Why do we read our Bibles? Because we love the Lord. Today I want to talk to you on a sermon that I have entitled, Law versus love. In Galatians chapter 4, let's go ahead and read, and we'll start reading in verse 1, and the Bible says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Amen. Amen. In verse 6, the Bible says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather ye are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you tonight asking that you'd be in this sermon. I pray that you'd calm my nerves and I pray that uh, as a result of this sermon tonight, people could say that the Holy Spirit was in it. I pray that they not leave here saying, Andrew was sure enthusiastic tonight, or Andrew sure uh, uh, had some cool little sayings or uh, poems or whatever. Lord, I pray that tonight they would go home saying they've heard from you. Now, Lord, if you're not in this sermon tonight, it will all be in vain. So I beg your spirit upon this sermon, and I pray that you'd open the hearts of the hearers that they may be able to hear. I pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Now, who was really following what was taking place with the Mavericks and the finals run and through the championship? Who really followed that? I know I did. Uh, In fact, it drove my wife to insanity. She hated every second of it. She would get in my truck and 103.3 ESPN would be on. And I'd listen to Ben and Skin. I'd listen to Randy Galloway. I'd listen to all these guys. and, And I was following that thing. I really got involved in that playoff run because I, I really thought they had a good enough team to maybe make something happen. So I followed it. I followed it. And so I remember as the Mavericks were going through the Western Conference, the Heat were going through the Eastern Conference. And basically, the East weren't being slowed by, uh, uh, the Heat weren't being slowed by anybody in the entire Eastern Conference. 
The Chicago Bulls had the very best record in the entire NBA, and yet they didn't really have any trouble taking care of the Chicago Bulls. I remember in the Eastern Conference Finals, LeBron James was going off. He was making everything. He was incorporating his teammates. He was playing phenomenal basketball. I remember listening to those guys on 103.3 and they said, Who do you think's better, LeBron or Michael? Now for me, I don't even need to answer that question because I don't think it's LeBron at all. But that's just, you know, Bible and what, you know, KJV language and stuff. But um, I remember hearing those things. And I remember a guy at 11 o'clock comes on ESPN. He's not a local guy. He's not a Dallas guy. He's a national guy. And I can't stand him at all. He's a liberal. I don't like the guy. I don't like his opinions. I don't like his, uh, I think I'm right about everything. And everybody else is stupid for having a different opinion uh, kind of attitude that he has. I remember listening to that and he said, LeBron is far greater than Michael Jordan. Like it wasn't even a competition. Like there should never be an argument about it. And the arrogancy that he had, he said, at this point in Michael Jordan's career, he hadn't done half the stuff that LeBron had. Sure, he had a few more championships, which is what matters to me. But sure, he had a few more championships, but he wasn't scoring points like LeBron. He wasn't uh, having assists like LeBron. Who is better? I think it's LeBron. I I pulled my truck over and I began to pray for him, cursed him out, (laughs) prayed in tongues, you know. I began to vomit, could not stop. It was terrible. I was like, blasphemy. Don't talk about Michael. Air Jordan, leave him alone. And I remember it was just terrible. But then as the heat went on into the finals, the Mavericks were playing in the Western Conference, and then we got to the finals, and then Dirk just went off. Now, he played good in Oklahoma series. Without him, we didn't win, but he went off in the Miami Miami series. I mean, he brought us back from 15 down by himself. And I remember the very next day on the radio, this is the greatest comeback of the history of mankind. I mean, this doesn't even compare to the Alamo. This is that much better, you know. And uh, all these guys were going nuts, I remember. Uh, And then this question was rose up. Who's better? Larry Bird or Dirk Nowitzki? And I'm like, we sure do like comparing people a lot. Let's just give the guy credit for scoring a ton of points and winning a game that he had to win. Anyway, uh, I remember all these comparisons. And even as far back as probably seven years ago, I remember Allen Iverson, the dude six foot, can score like crazy, but by no means is a team player. And he's in the finals with the 76ers, and they say, we think you're just as good as uh, Michael Jordan. They always compare to Michael Jordan. I don't know why. Not everybody's as good as him. But anyway, uh, have y'all heard these comparisons, or am I just the only one in the world that's heard stuff like this? I've heard comparisons with boxers. Hey, I've heard comparisons with our armed forces. Who's better, the Army or the Marines? Well, the Marines are the... (laughs) And I'm not going to argue with you because you can kill me with a straw. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, and then you have the Marines are the first ones into battle. And then the Army, well, we're just better because we... Pretty much everybody refers to the army as everybody. Have you ever noticed that when you say, oh yeah, he's going in the army. Well, not really. He's going in the Navy, but the army sounds better. It's just more generic, universal, I guess. But you hear all these comparisons all the time. And I was reading in my Bible the other day, and I saw a comparison that was just like this. And basically, these Pharisees are questioning the Lord Jesus Christ. And and as they get there in Matthew 22, uh, one of them says, Master... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? First of all, this dude's a moron. Because the Bible says that he was just doing it to tempt the Lord. But anyway, in verse 36 he says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know what Jesus Christ says? I believe that the guy's mouth just dropped open. I don't think he could believe what Christ said. He said... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
with all thy soul and with all thy might. Do we do that today? You know why Christ said this here? Christ said, love the Lord your God with all your heart is the greatest commandment. You know why? Because if you do that, everything else lines up. If you love the Lord and you have an appreciation for what He's done for you, everything else falls into place. Right here in the Bible, Galatians is a book written to correct the doctrinal error of Judaism. And it's written to the church at Galatia. And basically, Paul had written them Romans and he has taught them all of this uh, new salvation. And he's the one that had been given the revelation of God. And he's writing to, to show them this is all by grace. Salvation through grace by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Amen. And then in Galatians, Paul is having to correct these people. And what they had done is they had added their works upon their salvation. Now these people are saved. But after the point of salvation, they began to add stuff to what they were doing. Let's take a look today at three elements that I see here. First of all, I see an inflicted bondage. I notice, first of all, that it's a bondage that is self-inflicted. In verse 9, the Bible says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God... How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Notice here, Paul didn't say that God put you in bondage. Notice that Paul didn't even say that the Pharisees that have taught this false doctrine in the church are the ones that put you in bondage. I notice it's a self-inflicted bondage. Basically what had happened is these people reverted back to what was comfortable. You know what's so hard about Christianity and me is that my flesh thinks that salvation is by works. Now my spirit knows very differently. My spirit knows that it's not of anything that I've done. I, I'm so wretched. I'm so wicked. Uh, it was only by the grace of God that I was ever able to be saved. But yet my flesh creeps up every now and then. It says, ooh. You didn't pray very long today. Are you really getting God's respect? And basically what that is, is that is a self-infliction of bondage upon my life. You realize these people were saved. And yet, in the moment of their salvation, they began to add these days and feasts. In verse 10 it says, "You, you go to the church services. You're still doing all that, but you have to realize that's not getting God's respect. Why are you here tonight? Are you here to check it off your schedule? Are you here because it makes you feel good? Are you here because you think that it earns you respect with God? Let me have you know, if you're here tonight for any other reason than you love God... You're here for the wrong reason. And in this passage, Paul's saying, look, you had it right. You have returned to a childlike state. When you got saved, you understood that it was by salvation, through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. And now you have gone back to where you had no clue what the scripture said. Not only is bondage self-inflicted, But I see that bondage is self-inspected. In Luke 18, there's a a passage. And this kept ringing with me when I started studying. We won't be very long tonight. I, I studied and I have a lot of stuff to say, but I don't think we'll be very long tonight. But in Luke 18, the Bible says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice that. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. 
I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know what I understand about when we keep laws, when we do things, when we read the Bible eight hours a day because we get some satisfaction out of it? You know what I understand about keeping these uh, uh, insignificant rules that really don't mean anything? We just think they do. They have no purpose, but we do them anyway. You know what I notice about that? When we do them, we feel real good about ourselves, don't we? Hey, we didn't make church all last month, but we made it three times this week. We're doing pretty good, right? You know, yesterday I prayed for 30 minutes. I even prayed for my mother-in-law. You know, and all these things start happening in your heart. You begin to start understanding, hey, I'm pretty good at this Christianity thing. I got this thing down all right. Because, you know, I memorized a couple of verses yesterday and then I still remembered them today. You know, that's what the law, the trap of the law is. Is when we start doing the law and we start accomplishing the full spectrum of what we place on ourselves as law, you know what happens? We start saying we're pretty good compared to that guy. We're pretty solid. I mean, he's not reading his Bible 30 minutes a day. And this bondage is self-inspected. You know, the term Pharisee that we understand today comes from the Pharisee in the Bible. And basically what it is, is the Pharisees kept the law. That was their religion. That's how they felt that they earned God's respect. So one day they would be able to stand before God and say, I kept the law my entire life. I was a just man. For instance, the rich young ruler... He, he came to the Lord and he said, oh, all these have I observed from my youth. And he hoped to gain something with God. He hoped to gain his respect. And, and, and yet the Pharisees thought they were so much better than everybody because they fast twice in a week. Now, I, I don't think we have anybody that extreme in the Joshua Baptist Church. But do you think you're better than anybody else in this room? You know, the other day, I was at Brookshire's and I heard somebody listening to contemporary Christian music. And, and I just think that's, that they can't walk with God. Hey, I'm not about contemporary Christian music. I'm not preaching pro-contemporary Christian music. What I'm saying is, the moment you have those thoughts, you're so much worse than that person. God never was pleased with the Pharisees. In fact, He said, Oh, you generation of vipers! He said, you're a whited sepulcher. You have to clean the inside first. You look good on the outside, but your inside is rotting away. You know, we have so many Christians today that I see that look down their long noses at other Christians that are just starting out. It, It breaks my heart. You know, I have a prospect right now, and she's promised to come to church with me next week. She's promised to come to church with me two weeks before, but she didn't do it. But I'm still on her. We'll get her here. But you know what she said? She said, the reason I don't want to come is because I am scared that everybody will look down at me because of the way I dress. And I said, man, ma'am, you, her name's Darla. I said, Darla, you, you don't understand. We're not like that. We, we would never, ever look down at you for the way you dress. We just want you to be there. We would be excited to have you in the service. I saw her at Walmart and we got to talk and, and I was like, you want to come to church with me the next week? I had just gotten back from church. I was in my shirt and tie. I was running in to get some stuff for camp and I saw her and I was like, hey, you, you ought to come to church with us next week because uh, uh, it's going to be a great Sunday. We're having the, some, some singers in. You'll, you'll love it. She, she said, you know what? I'll get some pants while I'm here. Great. But wouldn't it be a shame if that woman got here and she got a sad, dirty look from some pharisaical Christian that doesn't own a pair of pants? 
Wouldn't that be just the worst thing? You know, what's sad is I, I don't doubt that it would happen. When we start inspecting ourselves, we start looking real good. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10.2 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that uh, commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. They say, hey, hey, when I compare myself to Brother Pickett, I do look pretty good. <laughs> I'm just playing Brother Pickett. You know, but when we start comparing ourselves with each other, we can find fault in everybody. We can find error in everybody. And we say, oh, well, they don't listen to the right kind of music. Oh, well, I saw the other day that they were reading a a devotional booklet that had NKJV scriptures in it. So they're obviously not that spiritual. And yet, that breaks God's heart when that happens. You know why? Because His Son didn't do that. His son was the holy, sinless Lamb of God, and he sat at tables with sinners. I'm glad he sat at the table with this sinner. I'm glad that he didn't turn me away. You know what we need to start doing? We need to change the scale of our comparison a little bit. We compare it horizontally far too much. We need we need to get our scale and inspect ourselves vertically. The only thing that we can compare ourselves as Christians, if we want to be right with God, is to His Son. And in the light of Jesus Christ, all of us look bad. You know why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all look bad compared to the sinless Son of God. The one who in Colossians 1 created everything. And the Bible says, for Him and by Him all things consist. We all look bad when we start comparing ourselves to the Lamb of God who died upon a rugged cross for our sin. We all look bad. I don't care how much you read your Bible. I don't care how much you pray. We all look bad compared to Jesus Christ. We need to change our paradigm a little bit and stop comparing ourselves one to another and build one another up compared to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we stop need to be in bondage of, of this law. Uh, all these little insignificant rules we place upon ourselves and we think we're better than we are because we attain the rules. I believe it would make God so happy today if some Christians would say, Lord... Use me to help somebody. Whether that person be a seasoned saint or a fresh babe in Christ. Help me today to help somebody. Not because I'm spiritual. Not because I I have attained some success in my Christian life. But because you are willing to use a broken vessel like me. Not only do I see that it's an inflicted bondage, but secondly, I see that it is an impossible burden. A lot of us are like uh, passengers on the airplane, and the pilot came on the speaker and said, Our navigator has lost the course of directions. And we have been wandering aimlessly for the past hour and a half. That's the bad news. The good news is that we're making incredible time. You know, I don't run very much. I hate to run. Uh, In fact, yesterday, one of our teenagers is in military training. He told me this morning he had to run 10 miles yesterday, along with doing tons of push-ups and army crawling all over this football field. And I was like, 10 miles? Ugh! Probably the farthest I've ever run would be one time I was trying out for the basketball team out at college, and we ran 22 tracks around a, uh, 22 laps around a regulation-sized soccer field, plus a little bit because there was a, a baseball diamond added onto that. And so it was like almost an hour. We did nothing but straight run, and it was the worst night of my life. Oh, it was horrible. I, I'm telling you, you could have kicked me in the face, and I would have gladly accepted that first. It was the worst thing. I hate running. But I will say this. If I ever do run, I want it to be outside. One thing that I do not understand is people running on treadmills. 
if I'm going to put in the work, I am going to see some results. Okay? I'm not going to stand in place the entire time I run and, and look at some wall or watch the Ranger game. You know, we, we were going down to the brick here in Burleson and they had the Ranger games on. And so all these people are sitting there running, watching the Ranger game. I'm like, outside, you can do the exact same thing and put in the radio or something. I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing. I, I, I could not ever find myself running too much on a treadmill. And they say, oh, it's easy on your knees. It's not very easy on your eyes because you're looking at the exact same thing the entire time you're running. And you go nowhere the entire time. But the thing that I think so many of us have fallen into this is that in our Christian lives, we are trying. And we are trying to run. And yet we are seeing no progress at all. First of all, tonight I want to look at it. It it makes us under a servant. In this impossible burden, it makes us under a servant. Look in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now I say that the heir... As long as he is a child, okay, let me explain this. We are joint heirs with Christ, correct? So we are an heir, but as long as he is a child, and we're, we're, we're referred to as children, and we're referred to as babes in Christ when we're first saved, differeth nothing from the servant, which is the law, basically, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. So he's saying sometimes when, when a babe in Christ tries getting going, They need a few rules to help them along the way. Okay? But right here, it makes us under a servant when we continually live under the rules. I I almost put a disclaimer on this sermon because I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Rules in our life are great for guidance. But they are not our Lord. It displeases the Lord when we read our Bible simply to read our Bible. It displeases the Lord to come to church because it's 6.30 on Sunday. If you don't have a heart that's sincere, and, and when you open your Bible, you say, Lord, please speak to me today. Please show me something that I can change my life to. I am an open vessel. Mold me. Make me whatever you want to today. When we don't come to the Bible with that approach, you know what God says? I am so displeased. You're just doing it as a rule. It has then become law to you. It has then become a requirement of your salvation. Not for your salvation. Notice the difference. But of your salvation. You say, oh, I'm a Christian now. I'm saved. I better read my Bible and get that off the checklist. Okay. Uh, Proverbs. Today's the 12th. We'll read Proverbs 12. Awesome. Awesome. Good. Wow. Wisdom. All right. Check it off. That breaks our Lord's heart. Because our Lord wrote us a love letter. And and the craziest thing about this love letter is sometimes it encourages us. Sometimes, but we realize how bad we are when we read it. Sometimes it's painful to read it. Sometimes it helps us to read it. But if we're just reading it to check it off the list, it breaks God's heart. And at that point, we have become under a servant. We're simply serving the the law. Not only do I see it makes us a servant, but I see that it removes our sonship. It removes the opportunity of our sonship. Now the Bible says clearly in verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now every time I hear the word adoption... Every time I read the Bible and it talks about me being included in the family of God, I get this amazing feeling. I don't deserve to be associated with God, much less be a joint heir of Christ. I say that all the time. I say joint heir of Christ because it means a lot to me. That because I am totally unrighteous and because I have nothing to boast of in myself, only because of God's love, I now get looked at through Christ? Now God sees me with Christ? I'm a joint heir with Christ? I don't understand that. But when the Bible says the word adoption in the New Testament, 
It simply means to place as an adult son. Now, notice we're not just some homeless child on the street that has been picked up and sent to a foster agency and adoption has, we've gotten lucky and gotten adopted. That's not at all what it's saying. We have been placed as an adult into God's family. You know what the greatest thing about this is? It's that we get to enjoy the pleasures of God as an adult. When you're a kid, you don't understand what your family has. When you're a kid, you have all these things. You have all these nice cars and yet you're wanting to play with your Tonka truck. When you're a kid, you don't understand everything that your family has. You don't understand them wanting to spend money on you. You're just excited you got the cardboard box to play with. When you're a kid, you have no idea what, what's going on and how your parents sacrifice money for you. But as an adult, I understand when my parents bought a place for us to hunt and fish out in uh, West Texas. That was a big deal for me. They wanted to bless my life. They, they gave me an opportunity a lot of kids don't get. And, and as a kid, I was like, oh, I got five ponds to fish. All right, zippity doo dah. But as an adult, I realized the sacrifice that they had to go through to make that happen. You know, when we come under the law, the Bible says we become children again. Have you placed yourself in an area where you can no longer see God's blessing on your life? As an adult, you can clearly see God working in your life. Youth camp has been a phenomenal experience for me and my wife. Getting to see the kids after youth camp. I'm talking about this morning when Brother Scott was preaching. He said, the mountaintop experience. Remember on his first point, he was going off. He was saying, you know, sometimes we get to shout God's name and praise God for who he is because we're on the mountain. Last week, I was on the mountain. Not because of me, not because of anything I had done. But my teens uh, were being worked with by God. I'm telling you, I haven't felt like that in years. For the very first time, I cried tears of joy. I've never ever in my life that I can remember ever cried tears of joy. I've cried tears of pain. Even at salvation, I wasn't crying tears of joy. I was crying tears of repentance and sorrow. But a week ago, kids were making decisions. Salvations were happening. Kids were wanting accountability. They were wanting help. And I'm telling you, I just got overwhelmed. And it was a mountaintop experience for me. But I can only appreciate that as an adult. Because when I was a kid and I saw people walk the aisle, I was like, well, that usually happens. I didn't even understand when somebody came and got saved how important that was. But as an adult... I realize that's a sinner that's been snatched from top, from over the top of hell. I realize that literally 30 seconds before they prayed that prayer, they were on their way to die an eternity's death with Satan in the lake of fire. And then for no reason, God gave them the grace that He gave me so many years ago. And He picked them up and said, you know what? I will be your God. I will be your sacrifice. You can come into heaven. I didn't understand that as a kid, but as an adult, I understand the decisions that are made. Have we reverted back to a childlike state as Christians? Do now we just think, you know what? I read my Bible today, so that's good. I did it just because. Do we go soul winning just because? You're putting yourself in a childlike state. You can't enjoy the very blessings of God because you're just doing it out of duty. The blessings of God come when it's from a heart of love. The blessings of God, I understand why, why those decisions the other day that my teens made were so powerful to me because they were all to God's glory. I didn't receive anything from that. I don't get commissions per decision card. And yet, when they were making decisions, I got so happy because I love these teens. I got so happy because I love the Lord. And they were making decisions for the Lord. 
And that just made my day, made my week. It's all out of love. Now, if I'd gone to youth camp as a duty and said, well, it's in my job description, I am the youth pastor, and I have to go, oh, you got saved, congratulations, now move on. That's the duty aspect that we have to remove ourselves from. And I'm so glad that so many of our members come to church three times a week. But I'm telling you, if you're coming out of duty, the reason you're never getting spoken to is because of that. The reason we never see you at the altar is because it is a duty to you. This morning I was able to go down and pray with my wife because the Lord so wonderfully touched me and I was excited to go to church today. I wanted to hear the Rochesters. I wanted to hear Brother Scott preach. I was excited about the day in the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me. Did you get a blessing this morning when you were in church? Did the Lord tug at your heart? Did the Lord speak to you? If not, I'd have to say you came because it was 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. You came not expecting anything, so you came and received nothing. I see that it's an impossible, impossible burden. We always feel like we're fighting uphill. We always feel like we're... Uh, that's the reason we see no growth in our lives sometimes is because we're only doing it because of rules and we're doing it out of, out of duty. That's what the preacher said to do, so I'm coming... But we see no evidence of growth in our life. Let me break it all down for you. I could end on this statement. I have another point, so (laughs) I'm not. But I could end on this statement. Your Christian life is only limited to how much you love Christ. Coming to church three times a week... That's not showing you love God. Reading your Bible each day, although it is a a discipline that should be practiced, that's not showing you love God. That doesn't impress God. You know what impresses God? Is when you go to prayer and you say, God, your son means so much to me. The sacrifice he gave for me on Calvary was so undeserved. And yet, Lord, it's so much appreciated. That impresses God. You know, because the only thing that can impress God is His Son. And the only reason that we ever impress God is because when God sees us, He sees His Son's imputed righteousness. And so all these trivial things, all me going to church, me going to soul winning, me reading my Bible, me praying, none of that impresses God. You know what impresses God? Living each day hoping that tonight I can say I love God more than I did this morning. Now, what will help you do that? Reading your Bible. What will help you do that? Praying. What will help you do that? Seeing others come to know Christ through evangelism. What will help you do that? Doing the things, tithing, coming to church, doing devotions. Those things will help you love God more. But they do not pull weight with God at all. Because the only time that we will grow is at the end of the day, if you can say, I loved Christ more tonight than I did this morning. That's the only thing that matters to God. It's the only thing that matters. Not only is there an inflicted bondage, an impossible burden, but finally, 7.30, I'm going to be done real quick. I see an incredible blessing. Now this is where the preaching gets good. Not because of me. This is, just, this is where I enjoy in the Bible. We are accepted by identification. Right here, as Paul writes, and he begins to call them sons, we are accepted because Jesus Christ uh, has done so much for us in front of God. I I go to these preaching meetings with my dad, and I am a no-name at all in these preaching meetings. It's kind of funny for me to go... Uh, even when some of the guys go, like Brian Cohn goes, Brother Jim goes. If I go with my dad, the people will talk to me. Now, if I don't go with my dad, I'm just another guy with a Bible and a tie. Okay? I'm just there. They're praying for me to get saved. You know? <laughs> I'm there in my KJV 1611. Yeehaw! I'm going to hear preaching. And they're like, oh, Lord, please save that sinner's soul. 
you know. But when I go with my dad, they walk up and they see my dad there and they say, Oh, Gene, it's so good to see you. When are you going to come preach for me? Every preacher says that. I don't know why, but every single preacher, it's like, Oh, you're still my friend because I would still have you to preach. I just think that's funny. But uh, as they come up to my dad, they say, Gene, when are you going to come preach for me? Who's this? Five seconds ago, when my dad was in the bathroom, they didn't care at all who I was. And now because I'm standing with my dad and he's a seasoned preacher, you know, he has this church. Because he's accomplished some things in men's eyes, uh, they come up and they say, who is this tall, redheaded young feller? And he says, oh, this is my son. This is my baby son. This is, this is Andrew. I say, Andrew, so good to see you. You want to come preach in my church? Five seconds ago, I wasn't even saved, brother. But because of my dad's identity, because of who my dad is, because of what he has done, uh, people accepted me simply because my dad was there. You know what? The Bible says in Colossians 1, 20 through 22, and having made peace through the blood of his, of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. Before I had Jesus, I wasn't accepted in front of God at all. God loved me, but I was an enemy of God. Before Jesus Christ came into my life, God couldn't stand to look at me because of my sin. And yet, because of the identification now that I have with Jesus Christ, totally undeserving, God looks at me and says, you're my child. I don't understand that. But I am accepted by identification. Just like in those preaching meetings, because of my dad, those, those men look at me and they say, oh, you're going to be a great preacher one day. They've never heard me preach, but I am accepted by identification. When God looks at you, all He can see is the blood of His Son. And this may offend some of you, and I don't want to at all, but whether or not you read your Bible today, He still sees the blood of, your son, of His Son. Whether or not you read your Bible Eight hours tomorrow, all he'll see is the blood of your son, of his son. Whether or not you ever read your Bible and you're saved, all he will see is the blood of his son. Now this is where people could start getting angry at me and say, Oh, Brother Andrew, are you telling me that I never have to read my Bible? I'll say this. God doesn't look at you any better or any less if you do. You know why? Because the Bible says in Jeremiah, our righteousness are as filthy rags. The very best thing you do on a week to week basis, God looks at and says, that is a bloody rag. You've given that track to the lady at Chicken Express. Filthy rag. But when looked through the goggles of his son's blood, What an accomplishment for God. We are accepted only because of our identification. What a blessing. And finally, and I am just about done at 733. This is where you need to pay attention if you were angry at me right now. We are expected by identification. Not only are we accepted by identification... Now, because of that exception, we are expected. All this is written, and Paul writes to these people, and he's telling them, you know what, you need to get off the works. You need to get off thinking you're better than you are, because your salvation matters to God. Not your your righteousness, not you attending these services, not you doing all these things, all this stuff, reading all the Christian literature, memorizing all the verses. You think you're better than you are. God still only sees you as the blood of His Son. And and now, uh, because of all this, in Romans 6, 
Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? You see, this is where modern Christianity is failing. And I know I'm not some theological professor. I know I'm not a great theologian or anything like that. But I do know this. The reason that we have Christians failing today and falling by the wayside is because it is a rule instead of a relationship. The reason they mess up is, and they always get discouraged because they can never attain the success of, of, of conforming to all these rules and, and wearing the tie to church every Sunday and doing all these things. The reason they mess up and fall by the wayside is because it was never a relationship with God. Why do we live here at the Joshua Baptist Church? Because we love the Lord. Why do we strive every day to do all that we can for the cause of Christ? Because we love the Lord. Everything else falls by the wayside. Why do we read our Bible every day? Because we love the Lord. Not because some preacher told me to. Not because I know that's what I ought to do. I read it because I want to receive something from the God that I love today. I read it because I need to be changed each and every day. Yesterday I made a stupid mistake, but tomorrow I prayed to God that I will not. Paul's writing, he says, so, so you just continue in sin that, that grace may abound? You just use grace as an opportunity to sin? No. He says, God forbid that would ever happen. Uh, in all my writing, God forbid you got that out of that. You know what? Uh, uh, the other day at youth camp, one of my teens came up to me. And he asked if he could continue to listen to a certain kind of music. You know, I said, I said, I kind of started giggling. I said, well, uh, you know. Uh, and then I thought to myself, if I tell him something right now, it will just be a rule. I said, I'll tell you what, buddy. You read your Bible. You pray about it. And you draw a conviction on that. Because if you don't, it will never last. You know why we have Christians that don't read their Bible every day? Because it's a rule. You know why we have Christians that have no prayer life? Because it's a rule. You know why we have Christians that never evangelize at all, whether it be Saturday morning or on their personal time? You know why we have that? Because it's a rule. What we need by the grace of God is some Christians to stand up and say, I am going to do what's right because God that I love wants me to do that which is right. The Bible says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. It doesn't say, keep my commandments because I told you so. It says, keep my commandments because you love me. What we need today in Joshua Baptist Church is we need some Christians that will stand up and say, I love you so much, God, that I will be at church three times a week. I love you so much, God, that I will be a shining light to this dark world. I love you so much, God, that I will read my Bible and try to glean something from your word. I love you so much, God, I will change anything in my wicked life for you. All because... I love you, God. The contradiction and the struggle between law and love, it's because they had no love for God. And they began to see things in their life that they thought they were doing well. And yet they realized, Paul realized, all of it is for naught if you do it without a heart for God. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, listen to this, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So many people take that out of context and say, well, I was chosen before the world, so Calvinistic verse. No, you were chosen to be holy. You were chosen to do right. 
You were chosen to be righteous in front of a world that loved darkness rather than light. You were chosen to be holy, pious. You were chosen to be like God. In love. In love. Without love, you'll fail. Every time. With love for God, you'll succeed. Because the thing pulling is not, well, I ought to do this. The thing pulling is, God wants me to do this. You know, as I was thinking of a way to close this message, uh, I started having things go through my mind. And then I don't know where this came from. I would think it was the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, But in uh, January 20th, 1961, a young man stood up by the name of John F. Kennedy. And it was his inaugural address. And he was taking office. And he said words. uh, It was one of the shortest ever on history. Under 14 minutes long. And yet we still quote it today. It was so powerful that it still moves people. And this is just an excerpt from it. You'll probably recognize it. John F. Kennedy stood up and said, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. So as that was running through my mind, I began to think about it a little bit more and a little bit more. And if you'll allow me the liberty to just change a few words and a few phrases, I believe that we can get a Christian statement of faith in those words. Listen to this. And so, my fellow Christian, ask not what you can do for your God, but remember what your God has done for you. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, ask not what God will do for you, but what together with God we can do for the cause of Christ. Everything falls by the wayside. You missed your Bible reading last week? I don't care. Do you love God more today than you did last week? If so, you fall in my growing Christian category. If you love Christ the exact same as you did last week, you fall in my dead Christian category. You know why? Because the only thing that matters in life, at the end of life, when you stand before the judge of all, he'll look at you and he'll say, what did you do for my son? And if you say, well, I read my Bible all the time. I did all these things for you. And he'll say, if you did it out of heart with love, you're accepted Well done, my good and faithful servant. But if all you ever did was out of duty, and you never grew, and you never progressed to where God wanted you to be, guess what He'll say? That's disappointing. I had so much for you. I had so many plans for you. But without a love for God, the Christian life is just a religion. No better than Islam. Because you have no love for the one that did it for you. That paid the ultimate price for you. Without the love of Christ in your life, you are living a life only because of law. Let's have a word of prayer.